Good morning. It's good to see everyone today. Let's uh, let's begin with a prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for your presence. Thank you for the opportunity we have to be your children. Thank you for embracing us as yours. We thank you and praise you and ask that you be honored today in Christ's name. Amen. Well, on this uh, last Sunday, as one of your pastors, I thought I would, uh, before we get into Deuteronomy, I thought we would, uh, uh, well, at least I thought you would hear some of my thoughts uh, that uh, come from the last 12 years of uh, walking with you and and, uh, being by your side over a variety of different ways and places. First of all, I think it would really uh, be important for me to provide some thanks uh, for uh, allowing me to be in this position, so I want to start there. Um, And the first one is I want to start by thanking you for embracing my family. I think any time that you put yourself into the life of other people, you realize that it's not just me, it's not just the one who's called to the position, but the whole family is involved as well. So I want to thank you for uh, allowing Janet to serve in a variety of different places and ministries through these years, uh, where for the most part she was able to freely choose. Now there was a time or two when she felt obligated, and she probably wouldn't have chosen that, but that, that those have been very minimal. Uh, I want to I particularly thank the ladies of the church for showing your love to her uh, through all of these years, and especially at this last women's tea, uh, you ladies uh, wrote a bunch of cards, and I've read through all of them uh, as she let me read those after she got them home, and so I thank you for the ways you've expressed your love to her. Uh, I want to thank everyone for being a source of encouragement for Megan. When we arrived, she was a 14-year-old ready to enter Terra Linda High School. And coming uh, from Virginia, I think uh, there was terror, I believe, in her heart and the culture shock that she would face coming from uh, middle school in Virginia uh, was a bit much. But uh, you did your best and you have done a great job of being a source of encouragement for her. Uh, I want to thank you also for embracing and accepting Aaron, who came to with us as a 19-year-old college freshman. Um, he only stayed one semester. Uh, by December of that first year in 2003, he said, I'm going home. And, and so we helped him move back to Richmond. Um, but he, uh, he later returned to uh, enter the Academy of Art University in the city where he graduated. Uh, he picked up a, lo- a wife along the way, and our first grandchild was born here. And so we are grateful for that, and thank you for your acceptance of him and his family. I want to thank you for allowing me to be a member of this family through all the good times and all the bad times. And yes, we have had some bad times, just like any family does. Uh, we, we go through those. Uh, I want to uh, say thanks for allowing me to live out my 
convictions following the leadership of the Lord as I understand it in the context of ministry in this place. Some of us have had our crosswords. Just as brothers and sisters do everywhere. And yet at the end of the day, we've been able to embrace one another in love. Because we're family. How do you summarize 12 years? 12 years. In a 30-minute message. I really don't know either. But I decided to try. And so I'm going to take you on a quick trip down one of my memory lanes if I can. 42 years. 42 years of ministry since college and seminary. Leading us to Portland and San Diego and Seattle, Richmond, Virginia. Now back to Tiburon. Barry Stricker and I were entering students at the seminary in 1979. We became quick friends. And by the time we graduated together in 1982, um, we knew that we would stay connected. Uh, Barry and Julie, uh, in our wills, if anything ever happened to Janet and I, they got Aaron. But that just goes to show you that people don't update their wills when they're supposed to. And poor Megan, sorry, she's left out. I was the best man in their wedding. And so in January of 2003, Barry gave me a call and said, I think that Tiburon is ready for a full-time second staff member. Y'all had never had a full-time second person before, besides the pastor and the secretary of the church, the administrative assistant. And so after that discussion and uh, uh, the, the very next weekend, I, the irony of all this is God already had things planned because I was coming to the Bay Area the very next weekend after he called. Barry didn't know that. And I was doing a Korean event over in Concord. But uh, had an extra day, and so he and I spent it, uh, that, that particular Sunday in January was Super Bowl Sunday. He said, uh, this is the first Super Bowl I've seen in several years. And I thought, well, if I come on staff, we're going to change that. And we did. Well, Barry, after, uh, after talking through his part of what he understood this all to be and to look like, he turned us over to Beth Patel and the search committee. And by August of 2003, we arrived. Uh, one of you even wrote, us, wrote me an, a letter. I've still got it in my file. It wasn't a very happy letter. It wasn't a very kind letter. It was a letter accusing him of, uh, you know, uh, paying homage to a close friend and that I probably didn't deserve or could never live up to what I was being called here to do. I read that letter every now and then just for fun. Always interesting. By, uh, by sometime late in the fall, uh, it really became apparent how important prison ministry was to Tiburon. And I was about to put my uh, name in to be on the uh, 
clearance list so I could go in every time the choir and Barry went in to preach. But about that time, we got a letter from Dennis Pratt, who from San Quentin had already joined Tiburon, was a part of our church family. And he said, is there anybody who would come into the visiting room and do Bible study with me and my wife and some of the other guys and their wives? And that seemed pretty clear to me that God was saying, that's, that's what you need to do. And so I got on the clearance list for Dennis Pratt and Terry Curran and Rusty Trunzo and Kenny Bryden. And for the next uh, eight years, went into the visitor's room to do Bible study with them. We did book studies. We did purpose-driven life. We did just about everything. A time to study and to pray and to talk and get to know them. And uh, that was a pretty special, special time. Uh, my previous background related to college ministry um, really made me get back out on campus right away. It wasn't in my job description, but I thought, you know, I've, I've, I would really like to do that. And so that ended up leading me to be involved with the college students at Dominican uh, from 2003 till 2011. And uh, that very first four years were pretty special because we built up to, by, the, by that fourth year of that ministry, we were averaging 60 to 70 college students every Wednesday night uh, on, the, on the Dominican campus. Uh, some of you will remember uh, the, uh, the mission trip that I took that uh, group on uh, to Northern Ireland in 2005. But, but before I get too far ahead on that, uh, let me say... Uh, my experience after our very first uh, Christmas musical. You need to know that we had come from First Baptist Church of Richmond, Virginia, and that every time something in the Southern Baptist Convention kind of got haywire or crossways, you know, and they started saying this is who we are and what we are, First Baptist Richmond would say, listen, we were around a long time before you were as a convention. You know, we'll just do our own thing. And... And so they had an incredible ministry, incredible music, incredible choir. And, uh, and so we were used to the bar being very, very high. And on that very first Sunday night, driving home after our first experience with Tiburon's Christmas musical, I told Janet, I said, the choir wasn't quite as big. The, the orchestra wasn't quite as big. The... Uh, drama part wasn't quite as elaborate. The costumes weren't quite as ornate. But I said that was as good or better than what we're used to back in Richmond. We knew that we had come to a very special place. The next year, 2004, I went on my first Tiburon mission trip, and we went to Senegal, and uh, quite an experience to, to be a part, and that was Tiburon's third or fourth or fifth time to go to Senegal, but, but I got to go on one of those. Early in 2004, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the Golden Gate professors who uh, had a part-time role working with Golden Hills Baptist Association uh, decided that his plate was getting too full and he had to back off. And so 
uh, I was approached about being a part-time administrator for the association that we're a part of. And so from uh, 2004 to 2009, I served as the director of missions for Golden Hills. That included welcoming new churches into the association, helping churches close their door, very, very painful, painful experience, uh, supporting new church plants. You know, it seems like every time we have a funeral, we have a birth. And so there were new churches that were planted. Uh, I had to help one of our churches dismiss their pastor. Another painful experience. But the development of relationships with some men and women who have been called to serve in one of the most difficult places on American soil here in Northern California. From 2005 to 2008, I served as an adjunct professor teaching no more than one class a semester over at the seminary. That really kind of started my connection back with them. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, in the summer of 2005, I uh, took those nine students to Northern Ireland. And I'm reminded every day of that mission trip. Every day I'm reminded of it because that was the trip where I injured my sciatic nerve and a percentage of my right leg and the bottom of my foot is still numb 10 years later. Now, I've not had any sciatic nerve pain since then. So sciatic nerve pain or numbness, I will take numbness every day. But that numbness reminds me of an incredible journey with some faithful kids. Later that same year, I stumbled onto a Chinese church that was meeting in Embassy Suites and uh, met with their pastor and his wife and uh, eventually led them to uh, get out of Embassy Suites. I got them into one of our other churches that they began uh, to uh, minister alongside. Uh, little did I know that that Chinese church was the church where J. Lu and Madeline Lee and the others of our Chinese congregation were members. I didn't know, find that out until a few years later. Three trips to Ethiopia that started in 2005 as well. And one of those, including about three hours in Somalia, they decided because of a shooting the month before that they were not going to let this vehicle with five white faces uh, go ahead and be you know, allowed to drive into uh, Somalia. So we were closed down and, and shut down at the border. But at least I can say that I've been there. And a part of touching the lives of a people group that the world does not love. We know more about them because of piracy and other crazy things. But we felt it was important 
to enter into a relationship. And focus on this unwanted group of people that God dearly loves. The next year, in 2006, I was introduced to Wayne Rogers in asset planning ministry. It's my understanding that we have about 70 families at Tiburon who are a part of the asset planning ministry family. And in Wayne, I had my first encounter with the business world and someone who wanted the best for me and was not trying to sell me something. And I can't speak for the other 70 families, but I know that the Prescott family will be eternally grateful for that relationship. We ended up hosting three Somali summits beginning in 06, 05, 06, somewhere in that neighborhood. I remember the, uh, the third one coming from John after John arrived, and, and I think it was, that was his opportunity to really see missions and what missions meant to Tiburon Baptist Church. I've already mentioned my relationship to Barry. After three and a half years being together on staff and having our, our friendship that went back all the way to 1979, we looked at each other and kind of shook our head and says, I'm, 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 I said to him, I said, I'm not sure what this was supposed to look like, but I said, I don't think it ever really blossomed the way we thought it might. And on that day, Barry said something to me. He said, you know, I don't know what this, looking back at our three and a half years, was for. I really don't understand either. But he says, maybe, just maybe God has what's coming ahead. For you as the reason that you came to Tiburon. From March, the months of March and April of 2007, two months of seven days a week, 12 to 14 hours a day, before Pastor John arrived in May of 2007 to begin as our interim. Uh, those were grueling. Difficult days. Uh, Bryce wasn't on staff. Um, our youth minister was about to leave. Uh, no children's minister. No anybody else. And and so um, it was a it was a pretty grueling time, but one that I would do over in a heartbeat. Now, during that two months, my very first prayer was, "Dear God." Don't let anybody die. Now, being a college guy, I had done more weddings than I could count, but I had never done a funeral. And in God's providence, Bob Pepper, bless his heart, went to be with the Lord. And I got to do Bob Pepper's funeral right in this room. One of the most blessed Wonderful experiences of my life. 
You, know, you must understand that. Because when you have lived life well, funerals really are celebrations. They really are. And that was such a wonderful, special time. Well, sometime that summer, uh, Aaron and Autumn got married back in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, we had our first visit back to our home church since uh, leaving uh, Virginia in '03. And then with Deborah's departure by the, by the beginning of the fall, uh, I began my first uh, trek as the interim youth pastor that went for a full school year in the 07-08 school year. A great, great experience walking with our kids. During that particular time, uh, Tiburon experienced the two strongest giving years in the history of our church during a financial crisis that our nation was going through in 2008 and 2009, leading me to regularly stand right here in this place and tell you healthy giving is a sign of faithful people. I believe that with all my heart and continue to just to, to say that is a testimony to God's grace of how strong we were during most difficult times. I believe, I don't know if we're the only one, but we're one of the few churches in the world. That's a pretty small group. Few churches in the whole world that over the last seven years with a part-time lead pastor and a full-time executive pastor. There's not, I, I, I can't, I don't know any church of churches. I've heard that there is, uh, I, I've heard of somebody saying that they think they're, they know of one. But uh, uh, the, the, the give and the take of being the full-time guy with a part-time lead pastor uh, has been quite, quite the experience. John and I will tell those stories for years, I'm sure. And they have been, they've been wonderful. There has been such a blessing coming out of that. I'm I'm so grateful to have been a part of that. In 2008, the director of theological field education over at the seminary resigned, and he was going back to Colorado. And he said, would you be the interim guy for a few months while the, the dean finds a director for TFE? And I said, I said sure, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be glad to do that. About a month into that, the dean comes to me and says, are you ready to take the interim tag off? And I said, if I can stay at the church, I'll be glad to do that. And he said, we'll do it. And so in April, March, March of 2009, I was elected to the faculty and, and uh, assumed that role in a more permanent position. Later that year, Tiburon and Golden Hills Association sponsored the beginning of the seminary's CLD program at San Quentin. And this is theological education that was going to be taken right into the prison. Many in this room right now, I'm looking at faces that have taught in that program. Well, it wasn't too long after that that I was asked to teach at St. Quentin, and I said, I don't think they'll let me because I'm on the visitor's list. 
So we had to write a letter to the warden and say, um, and, I to, and my plea in the letter was, warden, I'm not a member of the family. I am not a friend. I'm there as the pastor. And he bought it. And so I got off of the, that list and was able to go through brown card training. There was still brown cards in those days. And was able to teach at San Quentin. Another extraordinary, extraordinary experience. 2010, our first grandchild, Emmy, was born over in Walnut Creek. 2010, that same year, Aaron graduates from the university, uh, the Academy of Art University in the city. And in June, I uh, worked on the logistics for our 50th anniversary. 50th anniversary of ministry in this place. The day after the uh, 50th anniversary, I began a three-month sabbatical in the summer of 2010. But uh, just as is true in any time in life, as soon as I got back, uh, Reed announced he was uh, going to uh, be uh, leaving the church, and I became the interim youth guy again. Only for a few months this time, uh, as we searched for the next... uh, person to take over uh, our youth leadership. Christmas of 2010 began daily treks into San Francisco General to be by the bedside of Rudy and Matias while they were in comas. 2011, Megan graduated from Azusa Pacific. And later that fall in 2011, we did our first church-wide, at least in my time here, because y'all had done this before, but in my time here, our first study together, we did Experiencing God, had 18 groups and over 175 people church-wide. I was astounded at how many people we had together studying Experiencing God that fall. We went on to do Contagious Christian in 2012 and Reason for God in 2013. And stay tuned because there's another one coming this fall to a church near you. Susan Pernjack sent me an email and connected me with a woman that I started visiting on a weekly basis late 2011 and into 2012, who had experienced demonic oppression. My first encounter with that up close. It was a reminder that we live in a world that Satan still is alive and well. After her accident... I became part of the regular rotation of sitting at the hospital with Susan until her death. Our next youth pastor only stayed a very, very, very short time. And after Pastor Kurt's departure, I once again became the interim youth guy until we found Pastor Steve. 2012, I became your representative as executive board member for our California Southern Baptist Convention. This uh, fall, I will finish my 
first term, and in January I'll start a second term, uh, still serving in that role. 2012, our second grandchild, Riley, was born. The, uh, uh, I became the Interim Leadership Formation Department Chairman. The dean says I was the first part-time faculty member ever to be a department chair, uh, and I don't know if it was that was good or bad, but I, I was the only one. And but Monday, that uh, obviously that will end uh, tomorrow. 2013, I went on the mission trip to Dubai, where we were a part of the support for the Horn of Africa cluster. Was able to work with the kids uh, in uh, in that that part of the world during their time of uh, retreat. 2013 was also the year we learned about Megan's cancer. I am grateful to doctors Clock and Quack for their advice and counsel then and all the other times of ailment to me personally. Our third grandchild was born in Virginia in 2014, and um, the last thing on my list here was the morning, uh, unfortunately John was away, but uh, the rest of the staff were at J. Lou's mom's bedside. As she made her passage into the presence of Jesus. Special times, every one of them. When Pastor Reed walked into my office that day to share that he was being called to go back to Texas, he asked, why was this so hard? Why is this so hard? I wanted to quote a line from a league of their own that day to him and say, well, it's supposed to be hard. Otherwise, anybody would do it. But I told him I believe that the hardest thing that he will ever do in ministry is to leave a place when everything is going well. I felt that when we announced our departure from the University of Washington to go to Richmond, Virginia. I felt it again as we announced our departure from the International Mission Board to come to Tiburon. And I feel it again today as we prepare for our departure to become full-time with the seminary. Now, I'm supposing you're wondering by now what that passage in Deuteronomy is all about. So in the few minutes we have left, I want you to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to read the portions. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to read portions of this for you in a moment. But I want you to know that this story comes toward the end of the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. This is year, I don't know, year 38, 39. Dr. Akins can probably tell me exactly when it is. But it's toward the end. And the children of Israel are gathered anxiously awaiting to enter the promised land. 
Moses either knows or will know soon that he will not be allowed to cross the river and be a part of the transition in leading the Hebrews to claim the land that God has promised. I felt I wanted to talk today a a few minutes about such a transition uh, as I spend my last day with you. God has allowed this community of faith to be here in southern Marin since those early days when God gave Dr. Graves a vision to purchase this property two years before our mission was born, three years before we would even start meeting as Tiburon Boulevard Baptist Church, the original name for us, and seven years before we actually moved into this room and began ministry in this place. For over 50 years, God has led Tiburon to be salt and light in this community. And in this sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, I want us to look at three distinct commands that God has given. The first one, let's look at the first three verses. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and your children after them may fear the Lord your God for as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. I believe that most of us sitting in this room today have walked with God long enough that we understand that His commands, His laws, His decrees provide a quality of life that our world does not understand. Not to mention what we will experience from now through the rest of of eternity. God demands obedience from his children. And just as we parents understand what is best for our kids, and when they're small, demand things that they would not choose for themselves, God understands what's best. For us, we are to keep his decrees and commands. Our Father knows best. The second one comes down in verses 10 through 12. Look down there as we read 10 through 12. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you, a land with large, flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt, 
out of the land of slavery. Our lives are filled with all kinds of stuff. Our lives are filled with things. We did not create them. And for the most part, whether we like to believe it or not, we did not provide them ourselves. We have been blessed beyond our understanding. And that is true for everyone in this room, despite your socioeconomic position in life. I know that some of you have made world-class accomplishments in life, in business, in medicine, in finance, and in other ventures. But we don't have to look very far to see the plight of people who still live on our planet today to understand that we have been blessed beyond measure. That we have something that many, many in the world do not have, whatever level of life that you're at. And I cannot for the life of me understand why we wait until we're having a bad day that we get bad news from the doctor or we get bad news from the bank or we get bad news from anybody that we wait to call upon God. When we are at the top of the world, we should be on our knees thanking God for all of his goodness and all of his blessing so that it becomes such a familiar place that when we are at the bottom, we will know where to start when things go wrong. We must never forget the faithfulness of our God to us. Our Father is faithful. The final section comes at the end of the chapter, verses 20 through 25. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws our Lord, our God, has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. He has brought us out from here, here to bring us in and give us the land that he promised, an oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all of these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey, and if we are careful to obey, and if we are careful to obey all the laws before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that, that will be our righteousness. One of the real joys, when you're at a church long enough, you get to watch our kids grow up. What a special time. I remember hosting the McKinney Twins baby shower at our house. 
I've always tried to go out of my way to speak to our children in a more personal way. And my only regret is that I did not do it more than I did. I cherish my front row seat right here every Sunday morning when Bryce or Stephen or John calls the children down to have children's time. Now, I know all of you big kids listen intently, too. Because these guys are forced to put a whole sermon into about 90 seconds. Let's, let's cut all the stuff out. Let's get rid of all the chaff and let's just give them the, the important stuff. And that's what you hear. You hear the important stuff every Sunday morning right here. And I know that many of the adults say, that's my favorite time. That's my favorite time when you get to hear it that way. See, we understand that it does take a village to raise a child. And as each generation of children grow up in a world that is filled in ever-increasing ways with evil and danger, the importance of the village within the church becomes even more important. We are to constantly remind future generations of the ongoing work of God in our midst. Our Father's work continues to this day. The bonds of friendship that we forge in this lifetime are only a starting point to the eternity that we will share together. Father in heaven, thank you for the richness of your blessing. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for the calling you extend to us. Thank you for everything you do in our midst. And we pray, Father, that may we be found faithful even now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.